Welcome to the Wealth Matters Podcast, where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. This is Wealth Matters episode number 43. I'm your host, Alpesh Parmar. I'll be chatting with Joe Martin today, who's a U.S. Navy Gulf War one veteran, 20 years in executive public management, even holds a doctorate in public administration, teaches for two major universities, but he's also a real estate rental property investor. Here we go. Welcome, Joe, to Wealth Matters Podcast. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Can you tell us uh, what do you do right now for, uh, on your job side as well as from investment perspective? Um, from an investor perspective? Yes. Uh, yes. So I generally buy and hold rental real estate. So, um, you know, I buy single family home, uh, fix it up and then hold it and rent it out. And, and what do you do, uh, you know, on, on your, from your employment side, do you, are you still working and where are you, what do you do? I am, I, uh, I'm an executive manager. I run a utility district. Um, I've been in public service for over 20 years and, um, yeah, so that's my, that's my day job and the, the investment side of things is kind of my, I don't know. They call it a side hustle these days. You know, a long time ago, it was just your <laughs> retirement plan. But, <laughs> um, but yeah. So I suppose the retirement thing is my side hustle, so to speak. The uh, the investing side of things, and I'm a few years from retirement at my day job. So that's the long and short of it. Cool. Yeah. So recently, I interviewed someone as well who is still working as well as building you know, his, reti- uh, his retirement portfolio. So this would be pretty similar, but of course we want to talk about how you did that on, work- on a working class salary, right? So let me ask you, when and how did you start investing in real estate? Well, the this, this story actually goes back about 20 years. And nice. I, um, I had myself and my wife, I say I, but I mean we, uh, mm-hmm. had decided to build a house so we bought some property and we built a house originally the house was just something we were going to build we were going to sell the house that we owned we had owned a couple houses um, before that we'd lived in we were going to sell the house that we owned and move into this house and in the process of building this house we had a stack of things that went against us Uh, some of them were self-inflicted wounds some of them were just due to the market timing and things like that the the upshot of it was when we got close to finish this house we found we were essentially going to run out of money so we had to sell something and so as it turned out we ended up selling the new house that we had built but we took a huge loss on the house we by the time it was all said and done we lost probably a hundred thousand dollars or so wow that's significant at that time (laughs) yes it was a significant amount of money Um, it it was (laughs) pretty painful let's put it that way yeah i believe you and so we uh 
we licked our wounds. We didn't go bankrupt. Everybody got paid, but we, we backed up, licked our wounds and started saving money again. So by, after we paid everything down and we're working class people, never been, never been real high dollar earners or anything like so that. That's, uh, and sorry to interrupt. That's nice of you that everyone got paid, right? And you didn't even file bankruptcy in this world right now, people, even if they have money, they just file bankruptcy, right? They're like, okay, I don't want to pay. I just want to walk away. And that's what we saw in 2007 and eight, actually. I, that's how I became accidental landlord that everyone around me started, you know, walking away from the house. Somehow for me, it just didn't feel right ethically and morally. So I didn't do it. And that's why I stopped that. Yes, I'm, you know, I see still people who, who you know, pay out everyone. Right. And, and they could have taken that route, a shortcut, but they did not. Right. <laughs> and so I appreciate that. Well, thank you. It was it was tough. I, I mean, I have to admit, we we got down to in single dollars in the checking account a number wow. of times, and uh, you know, it was it certainly was an option, I suppose. Um, but you know, we we kind of come from old school background, I guess, in that mm -hmm. if you have the ability to pay, then you do exactly. And so we uh, rather than go kind of taking that shortcut route and not only did everybody get paid but everybody got paid on time nice. including, our, including our contractors and uh it, yeah it was it was tough it was it, it it was a tough way to go but you know at the end of the day we felt pretty good about we didn't feel good about losing all that money <laughs> right but we felt pretty good about the way we left things which is it was a big mess it, it didn't work out but ultimately we got out of it, everybody got paid, and we were able to move on. So yes. so if, if you do the right thing, God gives you back, right? That's, that's how it works. <laughs> well, I feel like you build a lot of good karma, let's say, yes. <laughs> in, in the process of, of taking care of your responsibilities. And, um, you know, the, a good example of that is we, there was a uh, there was a uh, contractor we had in the <laughs> in the midst of all of this our our own house had a huge flood in the basement oh, wow. and it it destroyed the whole downstairs it destroyed it destroyed the up. walls the, the the pipes burst essentially and so it destroyed the walls ceilings floors it destroyed everything in the downstairs part of the house and uh, so we really didn't have a whole lot of money and we had we had homeowners insurance and homeowners insurance covered most of it, but it didn't cover all the deductibles. So right. we, uh, as it turned out, we went to the, the company and we said, you know, we're, we're really strapped here. I don't think we can pay this in one shot, but we can make payments on this. If you'll let us make payments on this. And they agreed to take, and I, I bring this back to the fact that we had created a lot of goodwill and we had good credit records, even though we'd had a bad situation and they, agreed to take $25 a month until we paid off the deductibles. And, and ultimately what ended up happening is as we got a chunk of money here and there, we paid them ahead. And so we, it didn't take more than a year or two to pay That's them off. Right. That is a great story. But um, yeah, so we ended up paying them off. And I think some of the goodwill we had built helped us in that situation because after the disaster of the house, we certainly didn't have the money to pay for the disaster in our own house. Absolutely. So so we so after this big mess we 
kind of went back and licked our wounds and started saving up money. And a good 10, more than 10 years passed. We didn't do anything except essentially pay off bills and save money. And then we got to a point where by this time, the recession had already happened. So the recession has come and gone and the economy started to become, become on a recovery and upswing, but the interest rates were really low. So we had created this big chunk of cash and it was sitting in the bank and it was making nothing. I think, <laughs> yeah, it was, I, I think there was, I looked at a statement. I, the thing that really drove this was I looked at a statement one day and I opened it up and it was something like, it was less than a dollar. I remember that. I remember it was something like 73 cents of interest on a significant five figure amount of money in the bank. So actually, you lose money, right? When you yeah. include inflation, and even right now, as of 2019, if you do not invest and just keep your money in savings account or wherever, you are losing money. Actually, just counting as two percent inflation rate historically, right? Yes, that's right, and that's that's kind of the way I looked at it. That when when you consider inflation in the mix leaving the money sitting there simply wasn't an option. So we, so we had to figure out something to do with this money. And I have some, I, I have, we both have an IRA and we do fund that. Um, I have a pension through work and that's, but that comes out already automatically through my salary. So, so we had this chunk of money. So we said, well, what, what should we do with this? And we said, well, you know, we know real estate. We didn't do well in real estate last time around, right. but we, but we do know real estate when in the process of building that house, especially when things got bad towards the end before it got mm -hmm. sold, uh, necessity was the mother of invention. Exactly. And doing a lot of work on this house that I may not have done otherwise. And so I, I ended up putting in kitchen cabinets and insulating and uh, what else did I do? Uh, some flooring and so things like that. So, so we said, well, you know, we have some experience at this just in general, keeping up our own house plus building this other house. So maybe we should look at getting a rental property. So, yeah, in the end, that experience did not go into trash, right? <laughs> That's right. It was a really expensive education. Yes. And, and I go through that. About that. You know, for years, I, for years, I felt really bad about right. that. that experience and the lost money because that's a lot of money to lose when you're yes. working class people i mean it's a lot of money to lose for anybody but for anyone and for yeah people when, you when you're not people of means and you lose that kind of money it really kind of right. on you and can make right. you feel bad it can really affect your psyche and so for years i'd really felt bad about that and every once in a while i would i would think about it and i would think oh gosh we were so stupid look at all the dumb things we did and dumb mistakes and and as it turned out, the as the rental properties worked out, uh, it turned out that it was a really expensive education, but it was a good education because the the things I learned on that process of building that house and losing that money directly went into either things not to do or things to look for or ways to to build uh, when I started buying the rentals. Hello. Hi. No, that, that's amazing. So yeah. uh, l let me ask you now, uh, how many uh, doors or units do you own? So we've got 13 properties and it's not, it's not a lot of properties, but we've been conservative and we've bought mostly cash as we've gone. So, um, you know, we're, 
we haven't done a, a whole lot of leverage and things like that that a lot of people would do. Um, it's been, you know, when, like I said, when you lose the kind of money we've lost, it, it can get you a little bit more. Right, gun shy right. But that, that's amazing. If you have bought those mostly cash, then, then most of the cash flow flows through to you, right? Of course, it, it's better to have leverage, but then, you know, from old school perspective, you don't have any debt pretty much. And most of the cash flow comes to you. That's right. And the way we've, the way we've set it up, it's, is such a situation that I could suffer more than 50% vacancy and still be able to meet the bills that we have and still be making money. So, nice. I, so, you know, we set it up in such a way that I could withstand virtually anything short of, you know, some kind of economical catastrophe that, you know, if, if that happens, it's not going to make any difference, <laughs> you know, something, some kind of nuclear war or, <laughs> uh, you know, something that's really, if, if those things happen, it's really not going to make. Yeah. Any and difference. I, 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 I not, but, but you never know in this world right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you never know where things could go. So right. um, it, it's, it's better to have some options, I suppose. <laughs> yes. So um, do you only buy in your own market? So I only buy in my own market. I only buy everything I own is less than 30 minutes from my house. And the, the strategy in that was when I first started off doing it, the strategy in it was, I know this town. I know every street in this town. I know every neighborhood in this town. I know where everybody lives in this town. The term when I, I don't mean, I know all the people in the town, but I know, what areas are considered bad areas, so to speak. I know areas that are considered good areas. I know where all the shopping is, that the neighborhoods that people like, which, which neighborhoods tend to be uh, faster growing in terms of price because they're located close to jobs or the school or the hospital. And this is a college town, so there's a major university here. Mm -hmm. um, so I know, the, I know the town really well. I know all of the areas. I know all the places that I would feel safe. I know where people would be, would feel like, uh, this may not be a place that I'd want to walk around at night. And so I feel that that knowledge gives me a, a pretty good advantage over most people, not everybody, but, but certainly over most people. And so far the properties that we've bought, it's played out that way because, um, our, our properties are highly sought after and, and we, uh, we virtually never suffer any kind of vacancies. That's awesome. So who manages the properties and why? So the, we essentially just go for single family homes mm -hmm. and that is something that I understand. I, you know, I started off, I started off with single family homes, I guess, just because it was a way of getting my feet wet, I suppose. Uh, we actually started off looking at multifamily when we first thought about getting rental properties. We started off looking at multifamily and we, we did go out and look at some multifamily and just didn't find anything that felt like it was a good fit or a good value for the money. Um, so we said, well, let's originally we thought, actually, originally we almost scat, scuttled the the process completely when we started off looking at multifamily and didn't find things we thought were good value we considered maybe pulling back and doing something other than real estate and then we we thought about it some and said well why don't we just expand our net a little bit because in our minds originally 
you know, rental properties was apartments, you know, owning an uh -huh. apartment, yep. or apartment complex or a duplex or something like that. So when we didn't see anything that kind of fit the, fit the bill there, we said, well, let's pull back a little bit and let's look at some single family houses and see what's out there, what, what there is maybe to choose from. And, you know, what we found was that there was the opportunity to pick one and then see how it goes. <laughs> and if it doesn't go well, well, there's a reasonably good escape route and a reasonably good exit strategy from this that if we find that we can't get good renters and they tear the place up and it's a big hassle that we can sell the house to somebody else who would just want to live in it versus right. find another investor. So do, do you have a property manager? I do not. We, um, we started off in the beginning and that was, that was something else that kind of just generated the way it generated. I suppose we, I don't know if we ever even really thought about what that we would or would not have a property manager. But once we, once we started getting enough properties that it seemed like, well, maybe it'd be worthwhile to have a property manager. <laughs> we found that there wasn't any good property management. In <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it, it necessitated the development of our own kind of right. system to to manage this thing and still be able to keep a regular job. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask you, so how do you manage the properties as well as work full time? Well, the 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 main the the first thing and the major thing, and this was kind of this was at the beginning that me and my wife sat down and talked about it and figured out before we bought before we bought a single house or spent a single dollar doing this uh, we talked about well what kind of tenants do we want to have who do we want to have as tenants um, you know who do we want to target in terms of renting our properties and things like that and so we we kind of sat down and and, and worked with uh, I don't know necessarily the complete end game in mind but worked with some idea of what this would look like in terms of renting properties out to people. And so once we, once we figured out the kind of people we wanted to rent to, so we decided early on that we didn't want to do section eight. We didn't want to do um, lower income or, or trailer parks or, or things like that. And I, I, I don't mean to disparage any of those things. It's, right. just, it, it's just that we, you know, knowing both of us having grown up pretty poor, knowing that there's issues in those, yeah, and you you need to protect your investments, right? So it, it's sure. it's just you know and, business, right? And there's issues in those demographics that can be uh -huh. more work, and so so we had kind of identified the type of tenant and the type of people that we wanted to have, and so then once we did that, we said, well, okay, if we're gonna if we're gonna rent to mostly college students and some uh, you know middle class families, things like that, well then what would they want and where would they want to live and what kind of house or home would they want to live in? And so then we identified features that they, we thought they would like to have and, and places that they would feel safe and places they wouldn't feel safe. And so that, that gave us the ability to start tailoring. So that, 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 that's a great idea for my listeners, right? So pretty much you reverse engineered, right? You figured out, okay, these are the people we do not want in our proper houses or, and this are the, this is the demographics we want in our property. So what would they like? Where would they prefer to live? And then you uh, targeted those areas. Pretty interesting. Yes. Exactly. So exactly, you're exactly right. We reversed engineered it. And in the process of doing that, 
we determined that if we were going to buy single family houses, most of the houses we were looking at, most of the houses we were buying would need to be rehabilitated. So we bought houses and we bought properties for low prices that gave us enough space that we could spend twenty or thirty thousand dollars fixing the property up to make it essentially new not maybe not completely new but for but essentially new and in the process of doing that what what we found is that once you've taken a property and fixed it up to virtually brand new and then rented to the right type of people there's not a whole lot of work to do after that. There's nothing that nothing breaks because it's all new. There's nothing to replace. There's no service calls. There's no, there's no middle of the night toilet problems and things like that. They just don't exist because you've replaced all everything. And, and, and you are helping the neighborhood as well by putting a nice property there, right? As well as an, as, as a nice or a good tenant in that property. Yeah, that's right. Actually, we've had a lot of compliments from uh, places that we've bought houses because typically we've bought houses in in good neighborhoods, and usually it was the worst house in the neighborhood, kind of right. the, the house that everyone's because if you're oh. looking for rehab properties, of course that would be the case. <laughs> right, and you know most of the time these were houses that uh, a lot of times had been rentals for years, and the previous landlords hadn't done any work to them; just had, had kind of milked as much money as they could get out of them and then got out. Um, and uh, um, let me see here. Hang on one second. I'm sorry. My my uh, do not disturb did not work here. <laughs> Let's go. Okay. So we had, um, you know, these, these, uh, these houses a lot of times were in neighborhoods where they just, had gone down, maybe some other people had bought houses around them and had started doing uh, fixing up and things like that. So we, we've gotten a lot of compliments over the years from uh, people who live in these neighborhoods that, um, that have uh, said, hey, hey, we really appreciate the fact that you guys have come and fixed this place up. That, that's great. So. Uh what was your goal when you started buying single family houses or, or this rentals? Did you have any goal in mind or did you have even a number of, of units you want to get to uh, for passive income? Um, we, at the very beginning, I think we had no, no real goal at all other than <laughs> try to do something with this money. Uh, um, we uh, we simply had a big chunk of money, and we needed to do something other than make seventy cents a month. <laughs> so we we figured we would do one of these, see how it went, and then um, I don't know if we even planned on doing another one. We we said, well, we'll buy one, we'll get it cleaned up, and then put it up for rent, and it went so well that we said, well, let's try another one. And so we got another one and we tried another one and that worked pretty well. And so we tried a third one <laughs> and that worked pretty well. So we really, we really had no, no beginning in, in that aspect. We had no beginning goal that we could do anything with um, that we could point to say, Oh, we're, we're investing because we have this uh, end game here in mind. Um, but what we started finding was as we started getting these rental properties, we're like, hmm, 
the the in, the cash flow from these things could pretty soon replace my income. <laughs> You're right. And when I when I retire, um, when I retire, I can I have a cash flow that's fairly similar to just going to work, if not better. And so once we realized that, because originally we we originally thought kind of from the what I call the the lower middle class paradigm, which is you know, pay off your mortgage, pay off all your debts, and then try to, you know, scrounge up a, a few dollars right. and hope you've got enough money to live. And then hope you survive on your 401k and whatever is left of social security. <laughs> That's right. And that was, and that and we kind of thought the same way. We, we originally had thought, hey, we're going to pay off the mortgage on our house. And that's so that when I retire, we don't have a mortgage anymore to look at. And then I, I sat down and I ran the numbers one day and realized, you know, if we if we do this and we pay we pay off this mortgage because we don't have a big mortgage in the first place, so it's only going to free up like three hundred and fifty dollars because part of this is taxes and insurance, <laughs> and so it's really not going to make any appreciable difference if we can't come up with three hundred fifty dollars. It's right. not going to matter anyway. And so that was when we, when we started realizing that kind of at the same time, the cash flow had done better on the rentals. We had realized that, oh, maybe the thing to do is just try to expand this. Okay. Awesome. So let's take a quick break, uh, Joe. Okay. You're listening to the Wealth Matters Podcast. The Wealth Matters Podcast. For more info about what we do, check us out at wealthmatters.com. It's wealth, W-E-A-L-T-H, matters, M-A-T-R-S, dot com. So uh, welcome back, everyone. I'm chatting with Joe Martin uh, on how to build real estate uh, portfolio on a working class salary. So, uh, Joe, I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, you have made mistakes along this journey, right? Of course, not counting your house, which you are building for yourself. So, because everyone, everyone of us make mistakes and they learn from those mistakes, right? So can you elaborate on some of those mistakes you have made? Uh, sure. You know, early on with the rentals, I think one of the, one of the mistakes that we made was, over improving the property for the uh, for the tenant that was actually going to end up in the property. So we, when we first started fixing up houses, we always we kind of came and looked at it in the way that you would look at your own house, you right? Know, the things that you would like and the things yes. that you do if you were going to live in the house. And yeah. so, so we, uh, you know, uh, we did things. You know, we put in maybe nicer cabinets or um, or did things on uh, landscaping or, or fancy, fancy schmancy moldings and things like that, that as it turned out, renters don't care about one way or the other, that we, we found that tenants came in and wouldn't even notice that thing. For example, we purely by accident, we noticed that uh, potential renters virtually never look out the window. And uh, so we, I remember we spent, we had a rental property and we'd spent all this effort <laughs> fixing up the windows, making the windows look really nice and, and trying to clean them. And they had, I remember they had storm windows on them. So we were take, we took all the storm window frames off and we went inside and we, we cleaned all the windows and we were painting and, and oh, wow. doing all this work and getting everything put back up. And we, when we put, when we got the property put up for rent, and we had an open house and we, that open house, we probably had, 
six to ten people something like that different couples come in and we mm-hmm. so we were there on site and we noticed not a single one opened a blind and, looked <laughs> and this is one of the common mistake a lot of us make right when we are starting out because when we acquire our first or second rental property and if we are doing the rehab we always have, are thinking about how, you know, it would be if we are living in the same property, right? So like somehow we create that emotional attachment and, and, and that's what, you know, causes this kind of issues. <laughs> sure, absolutely. And that, and that ties into another mistake, which, which really was early on. And, and I got over this a little bit faster than my wife, so not to throw her under the bus, but because she, <laughs> she tends to care about the, the houses a little more than I do at this point. I, I, I like the house and I want them to be nice houses, but I recognize them for what they are, which is an investment for me. If I, if I wasn't making money on them, I would sell them and, not, and I wouldn't have them. Yes. But, okay. but early on, I suffered from the same thing, which, which was you know, getting, getting the house all done and running to somebody. And then when, when you had your first turnover and the tenant came in and you saw, Oh my gosh, they've, you know, I spent so much work doing this and then look at the big scratch they put in this thing, or they, I can't believe they left this property in this condition, not as clean as I wanted it. And, you know, got that kind of emotional attachment to it that, uh, you know, can, can, derail you to some extent because you have to you, know, you want your place to look nice but you have to look at it with an eye you know I, I finally came to the conclusion and I say this all the time I tell people because I, I run into other investors especially that are just starting out and they most of them suffer from the same thing even with apartments and I, I always tell them look you're not renting the Taj Mahal it's just a house <laughs> you can you could fix virtually anything even if you get the worst tenant in there that that maliciously damages the property virtually anything can be fixed and so you know you you have to look at it in terms of it's a business and things will get damaged and there'll be scratches and there'll be bumps and and there'll be wear and tear and that's why the irs gives you a depreciation (laughs) and actually you know and and you know those things will happen and you'll go in and, and fix them up so the uh so that was one thing and you know and then talking about just in terms of the just the administration i think of of the properties getting getting the the rental market itself right and getting the rent set at proper levels um we and i suppose this is probably got lucky this way because we started off with just cash properties and so because because we didn't have a mortgage to pay we didn't have the stress of oh boy i have to make this much on this property or else i can't meet my obligations so when in our case we started off all of our rentals always started pretty low in rent as it turned out much lower than what the market uh, wow. could bear and so it's been a it's been good for us i suppose a blessing because we've been able to raise rents as we go but um but we also collected less money than than really we probably should have on those properties because we didn't set the rents at the right uh, levels at the beginning um you know, conversely, if somebody was working off a lot of leverage, you know, they may they may get into a property where they've set the rent much higher than what right. it support. And that, and it's that's a difficult thing to come back from. You know, right. it's um, when the rent is too high, the market will let you know it pretty fast. And and usually, what what I found, especially in my area where it's not that big, it's you know the city city's only sixty five thousand people or wow. so. Um, you know, people watch the 
watch the market and they know right. what's out there for rent. <laughs> so okay. as soon as your rental's been sitting there for three or four weeks, everybody knows it. And if people uh, start saying, hey, how come that thing won't rent? So um, now can we talk about some of your deals? Can you tell us about your home run, the best deal? My, my best deal so far was a property that we went and looked at. It was a, it was a single family home and it, it came up on the MLS, uh, it's about four years ago, I guess, came up on the MLS and I, I drove by it and I liked the neighborhood. I kind of knew, like I said, I knew the neighborhoods already, for the most part, but I drove by it, I really liked the neighborhood. The price was very good. It was, uh, the price was, I think, I don't remember how much it was. I think it was in the mid three thirties. So 30, oh, nice. something like that. So, so I had, I had an agent and we went out to look at the property in the morning. We went to look and it was, this was a bank owned property. It had been a foreclosure. So the morning we went out to look, we were walking through the, walking through the property and there was, uh, there was probably five or six other people walking through the property. Right. <laughs> so we, so everybody left. So I, I told my agent, I said, wow. I said, well, I said, this, uh, this, this property, they've, they've set the price really low so that um, they can try to generate interest because the, the right. property, even in the condition it was in was probably worth 65 or 70,000. Oh, wow. Condition it was in. So I told my agent, I said, well, you know, they, they had a price, I think they had a price at 37 or 38, something like that. And so I told my agent, let's go in at 40 and see if we, if we get it, maybe the other people will, will go low. And so he, he got our, our uh, offer together. And then he called me the, the, that day or the next day. And he said, he said, the bank decided they're going to take this off the market. They think they've got something here and they're not going to sell it that cheap. I said, oh, okay. okay. So we'd already, actually, we'd already written an offer and, and submitted it for 40000 So they, <laughs> so the bank pulled it off the market. Well, after they pulled off the market, they, the bank, and I don't remember which bank it was, but the bank sold a portfolio of houses to, to a, a, a uh, uh, some kind of investment firm. I don't know who they were. I don't even remember their name, but they sold a huge portfolio of houses to an investment firm that was buying these foreclosures. And this wow. house, this house was one of them and this house was kind of an oddball. These, this firm that had bought all these houses was buying, you know, big chunks of houses that were uh-huh. in Las Vegas and Phoenix and things like that. And then they had this one little oddball house out here in Tennessee. Right. So, <laughs> so the, the firm that bought it looked up to see who the listing agency was, which had been my agency. And so they called the firm that bought it, called the agency and, said, Hey, and, and my, my agent is a, is a primary uh, broker. He's one of the owners of the agency. So they called the agency and they said, Hey, we have this kind of oddball house. We just bought this portfolio. And if you had any offers, you know, if you had anybody that offered on this house, you know, if they're still interested, we would take that offer. <laughs> and my said, That's a, actually, I have this oh, wow. that offered on this house. And so we bought that house straight out for 40,000. Nice. And, um, and that, so that house is, today is worth about 150 so uh, that is a home run yeah it was it was a huge worked out really well for us and we put maybe i think we put about twenty thousand dollars into it and um and it's a it's a great house and it it rents it rents fantastic that's perfect and now let's talk about your worst deal (laughs) (laughs) like 
my other than the original deal <laughs> right yeah that's your own house so yeah my, oh, <laughs> my worst deal nothing close uh, oh. uh, uh, my worst deal beyond that you know i haven't had the i really haven't had bad deals since then because we've been so concerned because we don't have a ton of houses so you know i, I would say my you know the the deals have gotten progressively worse as the market's gotten really right worse. yeah you which know, we can't would actually think about that, <laughs> my my latest my latest deal is probably my worst deal. I um it just because the margins are getting smaller. So I just bought I just bought a house. I ended up paying in the one twenties for it. Um I'll still rent it at one percent. Um but it's not and it doesn't need much, but I'm paying you know, I'm paying much closer to retail prices now because the market has just gotten so hot that um there's not, you know, the opportunities for uh for you know, value add has gotten really slim here, really slim. And um, so I'd say progressively my deals have gotten worse. Right. And, and, and that's good though. That means you are still conservative, right? Of course, because of the market, the deals are getting a little, you know, uh, worse, but you're still, you know, making close to 1% or 1% rent to value ratio. So that, that's, that's great. Right. That's right. I can't complain. I, I can't complain, but I would say my latest is probably my worst. Just because <laughs> just because the market's gotten so hot that I'm, I'm, I'm missing out on, you know, I mean, we were at the beginning, the, the properties I bought, you know, by the time I was done, I was at 2% or pretty close. So, nice. um, you know, I was, I, I had properties that I had you know, $40,000 and that you can rent for eight fifty, And, you know, now that's that, that margin just isn't there. So, but you know everything is a cycle, so I assume at some point it'll it'll change around some, and hopefully I'll be ready to take advantage of it when it does. Perfect. So I have a last question for you as we are about to wrap up. Sure. And this is about now that you have thirteen doors, you know, getting pretty good passive income. Why didn't you or wouldn't you retire if you have enough cash flow to replace your existing income? Um, the easiest answer to that is I like what I do. I, uh, I've worked in public service for most of my life. I enjoy working in public service. Uh, I mean, I will retire at some point. Um, you know, I don't know when I'm, I'm close to that age right now, so I can, I could retire here in the next year or two. Uh, but I, I like what I do. I feel pretty good. I'm young and, um, you know, so I guess the I guess the quick answer is that you know you have to you have to do something. I mean, it's not that I don't have any hobbies or interests. I have you know my wife says I have enough projects to keep me busy until I'm dead. So it's not as if I'm lacking for things to do. But you know the the job I do and what I what I do here working for the public. I mean, it makes a difference. We we provide really good service and we've provided a model of government that that uh, people can point to and say, wow, why can't government be like that? And that's something I'm pretty proud of. So, um, you know, that's, I, I never set out to do the, the real estate or the investment to just to leave my job. And um, I guess if I, I guess if I had, and I know a lot of people kind of get into it with that idea. Oh, I hate what I do. And right. I want to, I want to, you know, have this huge thing. You know, I think the, I think the reverse really needs to be true. I think you need to figure out what you like to do and do something that you have a passion for and that you love in the first place. And then, you know, come at it from that, from that angle. If you, if you just come at it from an angle of, 
oh, I'm going to invest in real estate because I hate my job and I can't wait to do it. I think you're going to pressure yourself into making bad deals, possibly buy properties that don't make sense. Um, you know, because you've got a, you, you have a motive or, or a, a drive that doesn't, doesn't contemplate towards running to something as much as running away from something. Right. No, and that's a great point because most of this podcast, as well as all the real estate investing workshops and meetups, they only talk about how to retire, reach, how to, you know, get out of your nine to five, blah, blah, blah. Uh, thinking that everyone uh, do not, does not enjoy their current work, right? But there are people like you and I, especially, I, I don't do nine to five, but I still have my own business, which I still like. Uh, I'm not just planning to get out of it fully soon. But, you know, uh, someone like you who loves the, what they do, uh, there is no doubt you can still do this on, on your, uh, you know, side, as side hustle, right? So that, that's great. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You know, I've, uh, I, I found that I enjoy the process of fixing up the houses. And, I, of course, I enjoyed the cash flow. But, I, you know, I found that it's, it's something that meshes well with the skills and talents and, and interests I already have. And, you know, the way I look at it is I'm, I've built something that when I do retire from here and, you know, that'll be in the next, you know, I don't know, two to 10 years and just I'll have to see how my health does and how things go. But um, that when I do retire from here, I'll still have something else to that I'll be, you know, involved in. And, I, you know, that's the way I kind of once it started developing into a, an actual business, that's kind of the way I looked at it. Perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, did we not talk about anything else or did we forget if you have any last minute advice? Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I think we've, we've covered a pretty good amount of things. You know, I guess I would, the, the last thing I would say is just for, you know, for people who think that, well, this is, this kind of thing's impossible to do unless you make uh, six figures. I mean, I would say I've never, I never made six figures in W2 salary in my life. So um, that's amazing it's not, it's not impossible. It, it does take a little bit of self-discipline in terms of saving money and trying to, you know, live within your means and, and being smart financially, but it's not by no means it's uh, it's not impossible and it's not a get rich quick scheme either. It's you nope. know, things that, you know, you, you have to, you have to take the long view. You have to say, Hey, where, you know, this is not going to make me quit my job next week, but where will I be five, 10, 15 years from now? It's awesome. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, sir. I, I appreciate it, and I appreciate the invitation to be on. If you are on the fence about investing or have any questions about alternative investments, please reach out to me at alpesh at wealthmatters.com. It's A-L-P-E-S-H at W-E-A-L. T-H-M-A-T-R-S dot com. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing.